Hello. <laughs> My name is Tim Rosemo, if you don't know me. Uh, I'm so glad to be here with you, Copper Hills. So I'm actually have this unique distinction of being our lead pastor, Brad's one and only, and by default, favorite son-in-law. <laughs> and I remember about 10 years ago when I met with him and Elfie to ask to marry their lovely daughter. And uh, we sat together. He didn't say yes right away, actually. Uh, made me kind of think about it and talk about it. I love that so much. But at the end, after he'd given the blessing for me to go ahead and ask her to marry me, uh, we stood up. And I think you guys know Pastor Brad's got this like unique sense of humor sometimes. And he said, just so you know, to make this deal square, you owe me two cows and a goat. I'm a high school history teacher and not a rancher, uh, and so I still am in debt to him, I suppose. About a month ago, he came to me and said, hey, would you be willing to come to your church family and talk to them about the stories of Jesus, the parables that he told? And uh, I said, yes, but I want you to know, Brad, I, I know you're golfing in Ireland right now, and that's probably difficult, but when you watch this, uh, I think our debt is square. <laughs> That's paid. I don't know you any more domesticated animals at all. <laughs> so here's the thing. We're in the story about parables, right? Jesus used these uh, as stories to uh, illustrate things. And uh, it's really cool because these stories are memorable. Like, it's possible that the only thing I remember from the next 30 minutes is the story I just told. But that's why we tell stories. We remember them and think on them. And Jesus used stories, as Pastor Russell kind of introduced last week on the starting this series, as a way to use an earthly story to illustrate a heavenly meaning. It's a great starting point to think about these parables that Jesus told. But these parables aren't simply fables. They're not like Aesop's fables about a tortoise and a hare or uh, like a fox trying to jump up and grab some grapes and can't get it and calling them sour. That's not what these stories are for. And they're not just morality tales. They're not theology lessons or anything like that. In fact, Jesus had a much different thing he was doing with these stories. There was a purpose, an intent for why he chose to do so much of his teaching in these stories in this way. See, I think Jesus told these stories as a method to reveal who he was, to talk about his mission, why he had come to earth, his kingdom, and his heritage. These stories have a way of revealing Jesus' character, who he was. They have a way of kind of helping us understand why he came to this earth. And they also have a way of explaining this upside down, different kingdom that he was announcing, not a kingdom of violence and power and control, but a kingdom of human hearts and love open to all. And interestingly enough, they also were a way in which Jesus connected himself to his heritage. What was his heritage? The Old Testament scriptures the prophecies stretching all the way back to you know, Nathan and Isaiah and others, but even all the way back into the Torah, like Russell talked about, even to the Garden of Eden. He used these stories as a way to connect himself in as the culmination of everything that the Old Testament had taught about. But why? Why stories? Could he not have just said it and said, hey, I'm the Messiah, I'm here as a sacrifice. I'm starting a whole new kingdom that's about human hearts. And I'm fulfilling all of those Old Testament prophecies that you guys have been thinking about for the last 700, 800,000 years. Why didn't he just say it? Well, at times he did in ways, but why did he choose stories so much to do that? 
Well, he actually told us. I don't know if you remember, but a couple of months ago, we were in a series that called On the Soil. And the soil, that might be me. Okay. Can you guys still hear me? Yes. All right, right, we'll continue. So uh, about the soil and the different uh, types of soil there was, there's hard soil and rocky soil and there was uh, uh, thorny soil and good soil. And we talked about that parable. And at the end of Jesus telling that parable, kind of early on, he concludes the parable with a famous phrase that he says multiple times in his ministry. And we can find it in Matthew 13. Starts in verse nine. And he said, whoever has ears, let them hear. Then the disciples came to Jesus after he had said the story about the soil and said to him, why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus had a surprising response. He says this, he replied, that's Jesus, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Now, on the surface, this could maybe seem to be a troubling statement by Jesus. Why would he choose to tell stories when he knew it would cloak and conceal who he was and his mission and his kingdom and his heritage from some? Why would he choose to do that? Well, the answer actually was in verse nine, because Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. If you are open to Jesus' stories, consider and think about who he was, then In that moment, Jesus could be revealed to you. But to many of his hearers, as we know, that's not what they wanted. They thought they knew who Jesus was. They had him pegged. They thought they knew why he was on this earth. And when he talked about a kingdom, they thought they knew what that kingdom was. But Jesus used these stories as ways for those that were interested and could consider to reveal himself. I am confident that these stories and parables can do the very same thing for us today. See, these are stories with intent, with purpose. There's a reason why he chose to do this. The parable we're going to look at today is an interesting one. In fact, uh, this parable that we're going to study is located kind of at the end of Jesus' life. So in Palm Sunday, Jesus had arrived in Jerusalem. He had a reputation at that point. He was a healer. He was a, a gifted speaker. He had fed many people and there were crowds that had followed him. And when he arrived, there was a giant parade, shouts of Hosanna and on a donkey. And the people expected when he arrived in Jerusalem that he was going to upend the system there. Jerusalem was a city under occupation by the Roman Empire. There were high taxes. There were corrupt government officials. There was poverty, violence. It was a seething cauldron of conflict and uncertainty. And people thought they knew what Jesus would do. But do you want to know what? After that parade, the first thing he does is leave. He leaves. Then when he comes back, he doesn't raise a citizen army to overthrow the Romans and use his miraculous power to restore the glory of Israel like they had under King Solomon and King David. He doesn't do that. Instead, he goes to the temple, the holy site of the Jewish faith. He goes there and he prophesies its doom. So this thing's going down. And then he grabs a whip and starts attacking the people in the temple who are profiting off of currency exchange and selling animals for sacrifice. And he drives them out of the temple. 
These people had turned the holiest place in all of the Jewish faith into a flea market. And Jesus wasn't going to have any of it. He didn't raise an army to attack the Romans. Instead, he, in a sense, went after the temple. So the leaders of the temple came to him and said, whoa, 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 how dare you first? And why are you doing this? Under what authority do you have? And instead of Jesus saying, hi, I'm the Messiah, the son of God, like I've got a mission that I'm going to do and all those pieces, instead of doing that, he responded with the parable. And that's the one we're gonna look at. We're gonna look specifically in Mark 12. That's where we're gonna go. And you can go there if you like, it will show up on the screen. But the same parable is recorded also in Matthew and Luke, some of the other gospel accounts and biographies of Jesus. So it starts in Mark 12, that's the setting of the parable. And Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. Now the them there is a Jewish leaders, the temple elites, the ones that were in power. And he said, a man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Now it is really common for at least me and maybe you when we read the Bible to kind of go at a really quick pace. Let's pause. This is actually a beautiful narrative setting that Jesus has. There's a lovely vineyard. It's filled with trellises of grapes. There's a wine press to turn the delicious grapes into even better wine. There's a a wall to protect the vineyard and a watchtower to defend it too. This is a beautiful place. And this landowner clearly cares like a lot about it to have done all these pieces. Now to us, when we pause, we can get a mind picture of this, of course. But to Jesus' hearers, there was actually more. There was much more that they heard besides just what we hear right now. In fact, as soon as Jesus opened with those few little phrases and sentences, all the people that were there listening heard another parable, an old one. One that had in fact been told by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before. See, Jesus didn't invent storytelling or parables at all. He didn't invent that. So this story that Jesus is telling is going way back to a 700-year-old parable that the prophet Isaiah had told, and he had said it in chapter 5. Now, what's the setting for this older parables? So the older parable that Jesus is talking about was 700 years before he was around, and it was uh, when the kingdom of Israel was kind of in a bad state. It had been divided into two kingdoms. The northern part had been carried off into exile and slavery by the Assyrian Empire. The southern part where Jerusalem was, and Judah, the Jewish people, was under constant threat and pressure from outside forces like Babylon. And Isaiah came to them and said, hey, you're not doing it. You're in idol worship. You've forsaken God. You're seeking your own prophet. You're mistreating people. Like, this is not okay. It came to warn them of a possible consequence of destruction for them. And unless we look and read in the section Isaiah, see how similar it is to the story that Jesus was telling. All right. I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. You can hear it, right? That's glorious and beautiful place. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. It was a tower. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. So the moment Jesus starts with his vineyard story, everyone thinks he's going to keep moving into this Isaiah passage and retell it. But he doesn't. 
we'll get to that. But what's Jesus doing here? Why would he, in fact, reference this older parable? Well, he's connecting his teaching to his hearers. To me, when I was thinking on this, this is sort of like as if Jesus had done a pop culture reference that we all are familiar with. So we'll try this, right? Jesus had said a brief phrase, and everyone in those audience heard Isaiah, yes? Well, I could say a phrase from 2022, and we all would hear the same thing. Like, let's try it. So I'm going to say it, say the phrase, and then you can say, don't shout, it'll be too loud probably, but say what pop culture reference I'm referring to. We'll go easy to start with. Ready? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars. It's easy, right? And the minute I say that, into your mind swims visions of Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and the Force. And if you don't know Star Wars, you probably at least have heard the phrase. Yes? Let's try another one. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. And now you're singing the song. Yeah. So, like, what's, what's the pop? That's what Jesus is doing the same thing. Why? Because his hearers, that's what they, they knew, right? They knew the scriptures. Let's try a harder one. This is for the older set, perhaps. This is tricky. Only one person in first service got it. Such a lovely place, such a lovely face. Right? Right? Yeah, all right. Hey, that, oh, wow, okay. Pretty young, too. That's awesome. Nice job. <laughs> That one was actually for Pastor Brad. I think he's a big fan of 70s rock. So that's the Eagles, Hotel California. So if you don't know the song, that's okay. But if you do, now the lyrics are coming. That's what Jesus is doing. See, these people didn't have, you know, rock bands and movie series and TV shows. They had the stories of the Old Testament. And that's what they did. They swapped those back and forth. They sang the songs that were recorded there and talked about the prophecies. And they had feasts to celebrate and all those kind of things. So Jesus is connecting to his audience to this old parable and story. And they're all expecting, he's going to say, and the crop was bad. But he doesn't. Instead, Jesus twists the story and starts to hook them in with what he's saying. All right, let's read the twist. In Mark 12, it continues. Then he, that's the landowner, who loved the land and built this beautiful place, rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. So instead of it being a story about a bad crop, it's now about farmers, tenant farming. Well, tenant farming was actually a common practice in first century Palestine when Jesus was around. So to his hearers, when he starts saying this, they all think, oh, this, is, this connects with us today. We know this practice. And the practice was pretty simple. A landowner would lease the land, and the payment for the lease would be a portion or part of the crop. This is similar to the practice in American history of sharecropping, if you might be familiar with that. So now Jesus has connected to his audience, now twisted the story, and it would be like if I did something like this to you guys, and I said, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, life was like a box of chocolates. That's like a, whoa, where's he going with this? What's he mashing up together? That's what Jesus is doing. Or like a more modern one would be a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, with great power comes great responsibility from the like very recent Spider-Man movies. So it's, it's, a, it's a twist on the story. Now they're hooked. 
S. They're thinking, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Well, before we look and see how Jesus finishes the parable, I think it'd be instructive for us to see how did Isaiah finish the parable? What were they all expecting to hear? Good? Okay. So Isaiah's going to finish the parable, and he's also going to interpret it. Let's look at, see what the 700-year-old parable that Isaiah had. It says, now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. And then Isaiah interprets the parable, something that Jesus actually rarely did. But Isaiah interprets the parable for his, his hearers, uh, the Jewish people. And he says, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So Isaiah is saying, hey, Jewish people, this is what God set up for you. But instead of following his laws, you've devolved into like uh, corruption and mistreating people and violence and oppression. That was the story they expected to tell. But he doesn't. Tell something different. He goes a different direction. They're hooked in. Let's see the story that Jesus tells and then think if we can come up with the interpretation, just like Isaiah did. In Mark 12, Jesus continues and he says, but they... And that's the land, the tenant farmers, they seized him, that's the servant sent by the landowner, beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Then he, the landowner, sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another. And that one they killed, he sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had only one left to send, a son whom he loved. Other versions of this in Matthew and Luke talk about a cherished son, a cherished son. He sent him last of all saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now remember, when Jesus is telling this, he's days away from the cross. He has just really ticked off the Jewish leadership. And he's told this parable in response to how dare you kick these people out of the temple and do these things. Well, the interpretation is probably, at least to us, in most cases, relatively straightforward. We'll see it was to the first people that heard it too. The landowner would be God, God the Father, who created a beautiful world. The vineyard was Israel, or God's promises to humanity as it had been in Isaiah. The servants in there that were sent constantly by the landowner were the prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and others from the Old Testament. Prophets that had been sent to Israel. The son was Jesus himself, who interestingly enough foretold his own death in the parable. He did that. The others, and we might miss that. See, that's how easy it is to miss a little detail in the story of Jesus. At the end of verse nine, it says, give the vineyard to others. Well, who are the others? 
The others are those with ears to hear. The people who were open to the stories of Jesus that let Jesus use these stories to really show who he was and not them assume they knew who he was and what he was doing. It's so fascinating because the story could just end here, but Jesus elected and chose to sing a song at the end. Uh, Well, he may have sung it, but to quote a piece of ancient poetry that had been chanted by the Jewish people and sung in different ways from the Psalms. And so he wraps up his story with a whole new idea. And he says in Mark 12, 10 through 11, which was a direct quote of Psalm 118, says, haven't you read this passage of scripture? He's saying this to the Jewish leaders. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. It's a song, a piece of poetry that has been sung and chanted many times and have been very familiar. Why does Jesus now move to talking about a rejected stone that becomes an important cornerstone? Why does he choose to do that at the end? Well, Jesus' entire parable wasn't lost on the leaders. No, they knew what he was saying. <laughs> they figured it out pretty quickly. See, in Mark 12, 12, it tells their response. And the response is really uh, interesting. The chief, it says, then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. They were the tenant farmers, and they knew it. They knew that Jesus had chosen to say this parable to them, to tell them their weaknesses, but they, they weren't open to his story. Listen, they wanted to arrest him but they were afraid of the crowds. What did they do? They left. They left him and went away. They left him and went away to plot his arrest. That's what they wanted to do. And they would. And ultimately, a couple of days later, they would succeed in also getting his execution. I read this story when I started thinking on after Pastor Brad talked to me about a month ago. And I was trying to think on, what's the takeaway? What's something that we can take with us when we think on this story? And in between those times, my family and I took a trip to Disneyland. And I do say a trip to Disneyland because we have an almost eight-year-old and a six-year-old and a four-year-old and almost two-year-old. And that is a trip to Disneyland. That is not a vacation (laughs) at all. Uh, it's, It's the happiest place on earth, but there is an unbelievable amount of crying that happens there. And we were going around and we were seeing all these places. And at times, I don't know if you visited Disneyland recently, but at times it's difficult to distinguish between who the employees are at Disneyland, the characters that you're supposed to interact with and take pictures with, and the people that are just visiting. This is particularly true in Star Wars land. So you would go there and you'd walk around and you'd see all these people who were just visiting the amusement park, but had dressed up as all these Star Wars characters. And I even remember vividly walking in a store, seeing someone standing in line to buy something, and I thought they were an actual character that you were supposed to take a picture with. That's how they had dressed up. Well, why would people do such a thing? Because they know the stories. They know the stories of Star Wars. They've seen all the movies. They know the trilogies, and they know the backstories, and they watch the TV shows, and they talk about it, and they think on it, right? These Star Wars stories are part of their story. It's so important to them that they would even dress up as a character to visit an amusement park. That's how much it means to them. And as I was sitting there and seeing all this unfold and 
probably dealing with yet another child meltdown. It's time to think, right? And as I was doing that, I wondered, like, do we know the stories of Jesus? Like those people know the stories of Star Wars. See, I don't think Jesus told the stories just because they're memorable, though they definitely are. I think he had a greater purpose behind them. He knew that these stories could reveal to us today himself. That if we know his stories, we could actually see his character, who he is in ways that we might not have known. That maybe we could understand more fully and completely his mission. Why did he come? We might think we know, but the stories he chose to tell might tell us more. This kingdom he kept talking about, this kingdom that wasn't one of violence and swords and spears, but of human hearts and souls that would be open to all. Could we not see and understand this kingdom more if we know his stories? What about his heritage? See, I made the connection between this story and Isaiah, right? But Jesus did that a ton. He, in fact, he loved Isaiah. He quoted it all the time. What do we know about that? What do we think about it? I thought, do we swap the stories of Jesus back and forth? Do we talk about his parables? Or do we just do a 90-second read? Yeah, and we're just through it that fast. Because that's how fast you could read the story that's recorded here. You could be done just like that. It's super simple and quick to read. But do we know the stories? Do we take the time to think on it? Because if we do, it's possible that the stories could do for us what they did for the people who first heard them, that they could actually reveal a Jesus we didn't know, that they could actually tell us a little bit about why he came, that this kingdom that he kept talking about, and we talk about a lot in this church, that we could understand it. I think it could. And even maybe more uniquely and especially today, could I kind of focus on it, we could know his heritage. Did you know that in the parable I just told, we see a little bit of who Jesus is? We see a little bit of why he came. We see a little bit of the kingdom he kept talking about. And we see a lot of his heritage. Like it's all in the story. Let's tell the stories to each other. We can. And I didn't even touch on that cornerstone piece. Yes? What did he mean by saying essentially he was the cornerstone? We're about to sing a song. And that song is called Cornerstone. Why would Jesus choose to identify himself as a rejected stone and a cornerstone? Why would he do it in the temple? Why? See, that's the questions you can talk about. You can investigate and discuss in your small groups, in your families, on your drives. We can know the stories of Jesus, and it is possible. And in fact, I can almost be certain that it can have the same transformative effects in our souls and hearts that it did on the people who had ears to hear. Some went away, some left. Some of the stories of Jesus are still mysterious, it seems. But the mystery starts to fade and the Jesus starts to be revealed if we take the time to share the stories amongst ourselves. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that your son told stories, that he told stories that we can still tell and retell today, that these stories could actually do for us what they did for the first century hearers, that we could see your son in a way we had never seen him before. 
you see his character, his identity, what he stood for, his values, that we could finally see with more clarity why he spent three years healing and talking and gathering crowds and why he did the things that he did. We could know the kingdom that he talked about, that we could be part of it, that it could be part of our story too. And we could see that the mysteries of the Old Testament are a little less mysterious when we see that Jesus was fulfilling all the prophecies that have been foretold, stretching all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That's the method Jesus chose to tell stories. We can know those stories, and those stories can impact us in the same way they did. May it be so in our day-to-day walk, this week and on. Amen. Amen.